0: Welcome to ill-equipped history, where two best friends tell you about a cool thing from history. I'm Morgan, joined by my ethereal co-host,
1: Emily. <laughs> Can you call me that every time? Hi, everyone. Yes. <laughs> How are you so, doing, Emily? I'm I'm good. I had a day I was listening to a podcast, and I am not the kind of person that can, like, do computer-type work while listening to a podcast. So I cleaned the house and did the laundry and then realized I was running out of things to clean, so I scrubbed my grout today just so I didn't stop listening to the. (laughs) (laughs) I love that to did I have I been saying podcast because yes. what I meant to say was audiobook um <laughs> I just realized that like something didn't feel right
0: in that sentence that's really funny like man that was a really good I mean I've definitely come across some podcasts where yeah. I'm like I can't stop listening I have to keep doing yeah. something like or I'll sit in my car longer when I get home, just so I can like listen yeah. to like a couple more minutes of a, a really good podcast
1: yeah I was doing stuff like pouring bleach in my bathtub. That's probably why I can't think right now. (laughs) It's like deep cleaning everything just so I could continue this book. I did finish it though. Nice. It was a good one. Very nice.
0: So I don't know if our listeners remember from a few weeks ago when we were together and I said that my district was hoping for a snow day. Um, we got a snow day. We were out for over a week for snow. Yep. Um, we had over seven inches of snow, which was a record in the area I live in, like a 10-year record. And I did not leave my house for
1: <laughs> over a week, and it was glorious. Yep, yeah. You unfortunately had to leave my house a day early. I did. Which was a bummer. I was going
0: to leave Monday, and then my mom called me Sunday and was like, please come home. It's going to be really bad. And I was like, okay. And it was really Always bad. Always trust mother's.
1: Yeah, always trust a mother's intuition. Absolutely. She knew. Yeah. Because we were just talking about how you could stay.
0: Yeah, I was like, oh, the snow's not going to be that bad. It's not, it's not supposed to start till, like, noon on Monday. And it started Sunday night. And the next morning, I'd stumbled across a picture of an interstate in the area I live in. And it was completely covered in snow. And there's cars, like, all over it. And I sent it to Emily. I was like, yeah, I'm kind of glad I came home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, we are already closed for Monday because it was President's Day. And then we did not go back to school until the following Tuesday. Yeah. So, I thought it was
1: MLK Day. I don't. It was probably MLK Day. I'll be. Oh, no. President's Day is this next Monday because when are these kids actually going to go to school? I feel like they're never going to go. I told my mom, I was like, these kids are going to school on Monday, whether the school's open or not. They better be ready. I'm dropping them off. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I just got a... Sorry. I just got a message from someone that was, like, her mother-in-law and her were watching Jeopardy, and one of the questions was about the Emu War, and she got it right because of our (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Love that. So glad I could teach you something.
0: (laughs) I love that. Okay. All right. Are you ready to dive into our skit? I'm super excited to finally talk about... Yeah! Let's do it. Okay. The year is 1961 in Los Angeles. The U.S. is in a buzz on the newest athlete on all the front pages of the newspapers. She races today, and there is a crowd of thousands vying to see her world record-breaking performance. Oh man, I can't wait to
1: see Wilma. She's my hero. I can't believe she's as fast as she is beautiful. I've been waiting in line for hours. I was one of the last ones to get a ticket. I am so glad I got this chance. Hey, I got 500 bucks for your ticket. And this is the 1960s, so you know that's a lot of money. No way, man. I'm not giving up my chance to see the Tennessee tornado run. The crowd makes its way into the packed
0: stadium. Every seat is full, with thousands surrounding the building hoping to catch any
1: of the action. Finally, the race is about to begin. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the NYAC championship. We've got lots of fun races in store today, but we know you're all here for one reason, and that's to see the amazing triple gold medalist Wilma Rudolph run her heart out. And here comes the racers.
0: The crowd goes wild as Wilma walks up to her starting
1: place on the track. The first race is a 60-yard dash, 180 feet. Not a small feat for these talented feet.
0: The crowd quietens as the racers enter their stances. The official
1: raises the starting pistol, and off they go. And they're off. Wow, look at Wilma go. I've never seen anyone run as fast as her. And she's won. It seems she's won as soon as she started. Less than seven seconds! I can't believe it! The crowd
0: absolutely erupts in cheers and applause as they finally see this talent firsthand.
1: The Tennessee tornado. All I can think about is Dolly. I know. She. I think she came first, though. I'm sure she came
0: first. Well, she definitely came first a few times.
1: Uh, just once or twice it sounds like. Three times actually. Wow (laughs) specifically three.
0: So listeners and Emily I have been so excited to talk about this topic for a very long time. I actually bought this book back in like November but I didn't get a chance to like sit down and read this book because things have just been crazy but today I am talking about the amazing accomplished athlete Wilma Rudolph. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited.
1: I've got the dancies.
0: Oh, oh, man. I had the <laughs> I'm like the, the entire time I was reading the book I was reading. So she was an Olympic athlete from Tennessee. I feel like most people have probably heard about her. She, especially during Black History Month, and now it's February, it's Black History Month. She's definitely one of, at least growing up in Tennessee, she's one of the top like list of few black accomplished people that routinely came up in those conversations. She overcame a really serious disability to go on to be a gold medalist and an Olympic champion, but it's actually really hard to find her life story a lot harder than I was expecting because she's so entrenched in like, like our childhoods growing up, learning about her. Yeah. But it's only children's biographies like there's no oh there is no official like adult biography about wilma rudolph well that that doesn't seem right i know i thought so too so i read a book that i got a while ago called it's either representing or representing wilma rudolph by rita liberty and maureen m smith and this is not a true biography it's more of it's a, like a contextual analysis of different mm-hmm. events in her life and how they kind of fit into the socio-political environment of the time. So there was a lot of talk about like the beauty industry and how in the 1960s, like, oh my gosh, if you're a woman athlete, <gasps> scandal, because oh my God, if you're mannish, it's like worse than death. How dare you have muscles and be strong. Right. exactly. be good at
1: something. Oh, my God.
0: Right. Or um, it talked a lot about the Cold War and like the context mm-hmm. of that and the civil rights movement, which is also very important to the story. So it's not like chronicling her life. Right like bit by bit I actually had to glean a lot of what her life story was from this book and kind of rearrange it so most of the information I got in this episode is from this book again representing Wilma Rudolph by Rita Liberty and Maureen M. Smith I thought it was a really interesting book there's a lot in this book I'm not going to go over because it doesn't really pertain to Wilma herself but it's still very important to her story So while I was trying to find good literature on Wilma, most books out there, like I said, are children's books, which isn't a problem in and of itself. But children's books are not going to get into like the nitty gritty of her life.
1: No, they're going to give like an overview and make everything seem fun and great. And it's not going to get into what's actually going on.
0: Right. So most of the biographies or like children's books about her come from a story of like triumph and perseverance and... Mm -hmm. Like, against all odds and stuff like that, which are definitely important to Wilma Rudolph's story, but that's not all that there was. You know, she was a human being. Her life was messy, just like anyone else's life. And it was even more so because she grew up in the Jim Crow South, um, which just kind of adds even more. Yeah. So, it turns out Wilma did write an autobiography, but by the time I realized that she had written an autobiography i didn't have enough time and it's
1: really expensive it's like the copies i found were over 40 dollars wow she's kind of awesome so i feel like that's understandable but but it's like
0: they're all like original editions so it's not like her autobiography is being like republished like they're all like old used copies from the 70s when she published her book
1: I guess that's why they'd be more expensive. Yeah, and can somebody republish this woman's book, please? Yeah.
0: The the book I read representing Wilma Rudolph analyzed her autobiography, so I'm just going to be using information from that book. I know it's okay. not an original source. It's the best I got. So, yeah.
1: We do what we can.
0: And I used another book um I found this when I went to go visit Corey in New Jersey. I found this book. It's a uh, an encyclopedia of famous American women. Yeah. And it was actually published before Wilma Rudolph died. So in her section, it has like her birth date and then a dash indicating she was still alive when this was written. So wow. Also, I apologize if you guys can hear talking. Um, this house is not soundproof, and Kyle's having a conversation. <laughs> So, I, I have the book. I have the encyclopedia that I got some good details from. And then there's some other websites that I got some information from. Um, so, all those will be in the sources. So, let's dive into her story. Yay! So, Wilma Glodine Rudolph was born June twenty-third, 1940 in St. Bethlehem, Tennessee, to Ed and Blanche Rudolph. Ed was a porter and Blanche was a domestic worker or a maid. Wilma was one of
1: twenty-two children. Um, huh. one. Where is that again? Like, what part of Tennessee is that? I think it's. She grew up in Clarksville, so I think it's close by. Oh, okay. Too, okay, so more like middle Tennessee. Yeah, closer area. to Nashville. Yeah. Okay, and twenty-two. Two. Twi- yes. From the same marriage. No.
0: Oh. So. Ed okay. had 14 children with his first wife. I didn't see what happened to her. But mm-hmm. after her, he married Blanche, and together they had eight more children. And Wilma was number 20.
1: You would have, like, a at that point, probably like a 25-year-old sibling when, when you were born. Yeah. And every age in between.
0: Yeah. I can't imagine. That's a lot of siblings. Ugh! So Wilma had a really hard time even before she was born. There Mm -hmm. were complications while she was in utero, and she was actually born premature. She only weighed four point five pounds at birth. Oh, little baby! She was teeny tiny baby. And as you can probably guess, for a multitude of reasons, the family struggled financially. In her autobiography, she talked about how her mother made the children clothes from flower sacks that she picked up from Mm -hmm. restaurants that she worked at, and she would take leftovers home from the restaurants, and Wilma talked about how they were one of the luckier Black families in town because they always had clothes and food to eat. Wow. So the family was very resourceful in providing for everyone. So... Like I said, Wilma grew up in Clarksville, Tennessee. It's about 50 miles away from Nashville. And she she grew up in the Jim Crow South. And I know we've talked about Jim Crow a few times, mm-hmm. especially when we talk about post-Civil War up until the Civil Rights yeah. Movement. So, so for our non-American listeners or people who just don't know what Jim Crow is, Jim Crow laws legalized segregation after the Civil War. They were most prevalent in the South, but there were... Some Jim Crow policies in the North as well. Yeah. Because racism sucks.
1: Sucks.
0: Clarksville was very segregated while Wilma was growing up, and this caused her family to struggle a lot, as I'm sure you can imagine. Yeah. Wilma really struggled with her health, especially when she was very young. When she was four, she contracted double pneumonia, scarlet fever, and polio. At four? At four years old. That poor baby. Oh, my gosh. As a parent, that hurts my heart to think about. And she really struggled with her health up until she became a teen... Like, until she was a teenager. She self-described herself as, quote, the most sickly kid in Clarksville. (laughs) And just for... People who may not know, because it's not really as prevalent anymore, polio is caused by the polio virus. Most people don't present with the symptoms of polio if they have it. 25% of people infected with the virus will experience flu-like symptoms like sore throat, fever, fatigue, nausea, headache, and stomach pain. And that will last for a few days and go away. Mm -hmm. A smaller smaller percentage will experience damage to the brain and or spinal cord. So about 5% of those cases will result in meningitis. Mm -hmm. which is inflammation of the spinal cord. And an even smaller percentage of those people experience paralysis. So this occurs between 1 to 200 and 1 to 2,000 people. And the paralysis can result in people losing their ability to breathe because they can no longer move their chest muscles. And that's why a lot of people, like especially a lot of children who develop polio, had to have iron lungs to breathe for them because they literally – did not have muscle tone to breathe anymore. And 2 to 10% of people who end it who end up developing the paralysis pass away because they can no longer yeah, survive. Wow. And it's only called polio if a person experiences the paralysis. So if they have the flu like symptoms, if they develop the meningitis, that that's not considered polio. Polio is when like like they experience some kind of physical okay. effect like the paralysis. So she was physically
1: affected by this.
0: Yes. So the okay. polio that she contracted resulted in Wilma using losing the use of her left leg. Damn. So she had to start wearing a brace mm-hmm. to be and she couldn't really walk. But her family was very, very determined and they did everything they could to make sure she received adequate medical care. But again, this is Jim Crow South. With a lot of segregation. Even
1: even if, let's say, they had money, just because they were a black family, they were not going to get near as good medical care as a white family in the exact same situation. It's disgusting. Not in Clarksville. Right. So they ended up
0: having to make the trip to Nashville frequently, where they went to Fisk University Meharry Medical School. Mm -hmm. which is a historically black university in Nashville. And Meharry is still around. It's still a medical college for Fisk University. It's in uh, West Nashville. So they, her and her mother would travel on a bus 50 miles one way, multiple times a week to make sure that she was getting the adequate medical care that she could get.
1: Damn. Oh, I'm getting chills right now. It's the
0: shit you do for your kids, like. And this was a segregated bus, so they
1: had to sit in the back.
0: And if there weren't enough seats, seats, they had to stand up.
1: And she's in a brace. I. So we need to be videoing this because I don't have words. I just <laughs> no. have facial expressions.
0: Yeah, oh it's God. it's really rough. And honestly, at the time, Wilma was like, this isn't right. Like, she, in her autobiography, she recounted that when she and her siblings would question the status quo, her parents would just tell the children, be quiet. This is just the way it is. No one can change it. this wow. was in the, the 40s. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, if she got it at, at four years old, that's 44. Yeah.
0: 1944. Right. Yeah. So while Wilmot was in the leg brace, she really struggled with her identity. She couldn't go to school. She couldn't play outside. A teacher actually had to come and, like, drop a few times a week and drop off school materials.
1: Oh, so she couldn't even go to school to, like, socialize and make friends and... Yeah.
0: She... Ugh. This was a very, very dark period in her life, for sure. But she... Was continuing the, the medical treatment at Mahari, and she got multiple deep tissue massages from her family multiple times a day. Like, everyone that was in that home was, like, providing her, like, really intense massages.
1: Got 22 hands worth of massages right there. Like, that's... Yes. Good. At Mahari, she got intensive heat and water therapy.
0: So, when she was nine years old, she was able to move up from a leg brace to an orthopedic shoe. So she could finally walk.
1: Wow. At, At how nine, old? Nine, nine years old. Five years? Yeah. Like that. Wow. And this woman will go on to be one of the best racers. Ever. Ever. Ooh, Ooh I just got like a full oh! body chill. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Proceed. Nine okay. years old.
0: She gets an orthopedic shoe. Right. So it's still it's still rough, you know. And she was, she had a limp because the shoe was like compensating and she was super embarrassed. So she actually taught herself how to walk without a limp. But she said that when she was finally able to take off that brace, it was one of the most important days in her life. Oof, I just got chills again reading the next sentence. Well,
1: I, no, I totally understand that from a personal perspective because I was injured for 10 months. I couldn't imagine five years. That's way worse. But my limited time compared to hers in not being able to walk, not being able to go to school, not being able to do anything was misery. It was absolute mm-hmm. misery. And just the thought of her doing that for five years and then just still coming out with such a positive out i'm sure i'm sure she had struggles but with a positive outlook like you know what i'm not going to waller in self-pity i'm going to teach myself how to do better and continue mm-hmm. to work with it right good for her exactly Damn. when yeah.
0: she was 11 years old she was able to walk without any medical devices at all go wilma <laughs> emily's like fist pumping the air <laughs> So she, this is where we just go from zero to a hundred, like, boom, off to the races. She's like,
1: literally nothing is going to stop me now. Really? Off to the races. Literally. So she Mm -hmm. started
0: running and she started playing basketball. And that was not really typical of girls at the time, especially, like, we're getting into, like, the 1950s now. There Mm -hmm. was a very specific way girls were expected to act. So... Especially, like, just people were really, really weird about women being athletes at this time. It was, like, a sin against nature if a woman was mannish or unfeminine. But Wilma did not give a shit.
1: Good. (laughs) Good. Fuck
0: them. I mean, you can imagine, like, after spending most of your life up to this point feeling trapped within your own body, like, she's like, I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. And she did. Good. She was an amazing athlete so she when she got to high school she attended Burt High School she started playing basketball and she was awesome when she was in 10th grade she set a new Tennessee state record for points scored in a girls basketball game in the 10th grade in the 10th grade yeah she got the nickname Skeeter from her basketball (laughs) coach Cece Gray because quote you're little you're fast and you always get in my way (laughs)
1: It's the
0: best. So CeCe Gray, her basketball coach, was good friends with a man named Edward Temple. He was the track and field coach for the Tennessee State Tiger Bells. And the Tiger Bells were a world-renowned women's track club. Uh-huh. Like, known internationally for producing amazing, like, track stars. Wow. In Tennessee? In, at Tennessee State University, wow. which is another historically black university in Nashville. Actually, um, I have a few friends that have graduated from TSU. Cool. So. Yeah. So he, uh, CC Gray, was like, hey, there's a girl you need to you need to see. Like, she's incredible. So he's like, okay, I'll come. Check her out. Yeah. So he was super impressed with Wilma and invited her to join his training camp with the Tiger Bells. And actually, I, w- I read an article that was written in 1997 about Wilma Rudolph and the Tiger Bells. And... By 1997, just the Tiger Bells had 23 Olympic medals. Uh. Like, they were amazing.
1: Who the chills are back. <laughs> just I know. so many. For one team. And that was in 97? Team.
0: 97. Okay. So I think the Tiger Bells were started in the early 50s. Okay. Um, I thought I wrote... When the Tiger Bells were started, the the first two Tiger Bell Olympic medalists were May Fags and Barbara Jones in 1952. Wow. And so and the Tiger Bells were the, an all black racing team. Wow. So Temple was so impressed with Wilma. Like he was like this this kid, she can run. He invited her to go with his team yeah to the 1956 olympic games in melbourne australia <laughs> and her team won the bronze in the 4x100 relay wow she was 16 in a junior in high school in the olympics got a bronze in the olympics and her teammates were may fags margaret matthews and isabel daniels wow so one of her teammates was one of the first women to win an olympic medal for the tiger bells Oh my gosh! Awesome. She also got to meet Jackie Robinson. Cool. Uh, in nineteen fifty-six, who, for those who don't know, he was the first major league baseball player, like first black major league baseball player. I think Jackie. Robinson I think so. Was. He's another one that came a lot, yeah, came up a lot in during Black History Month. But Jackie Robinson was one of Wilma's heroes, so she was yeah, like first African
1: American to play in the major league baseball era is what this says
0: awesome yeah so we're bumping into a little hiccup here when she was 17 in her senior year of high school she found out she was pregnant while getting a physical for basketball so the father was her long-term boyfriend robert eldridge Mm -hmm. and it was more just like it was the 50s they didn't really know what they were doing no one they didn't have sex education back then well they barely have it now right sorry (laughs) sorry no it's okay she was terrified naturally yeah but thankfully even though her parents were not thrilled yeah uh she had a really strong support system she was able to stay Uh, in school her parents coaches teachers and friends all stuck by her and there was no stigma in this community for teen pregnancy and like she even mentioned there are other girls in her school who were also pregnant at the time so they were just
1: like all right like just keep going. Like, like we, we're here to support you. We hate that for you, but you know what? We're going to do the best we can with the hand we've been dealt and we're going to go yes. on and we love we love you still.
0: We're not going to let it shame you.
1: Which is so. interesting because in other communities, I know from like my mammals talking to me and stuff, that was not the case everywhere. A lot of times yeah. if you had a teen pregnancy in like the 50s, you would leave pregnant and you would come back you know, not pregnant. not pregnant without a child. And the child was given to either someone else in the family, given up for right. adoption against your will or other things. And it's like you left before you started showing. So then no one mm-hmm. it, so that it could be covered up. There was a lot of shame. Yeah. And yeah.
0: the the book representing Wilma Rudolph talked about it a little bit and how like because especially. Like, in the Jim Crow South, like, a lot, like, the black community was very, very tight-knit.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and didn't have a lot of the same stigmas that white communities at the time yeah. did. Because why would they? You know? Like, they couldn't really afford to. Like, we have to stick together exactly. to kind of get through this. And we're just going to accept you, you know? But there was yeah. an expectation that when Viloma graduated high school, she would marry Robert and become a housewife. Okay. But she did neither. well she's gonna do what she wants so she Wilma does what she wants so shortly after graduating high school in 1957 in 1957 she gave birth to her daughter Yolanda who was then sent to live with Wilma's sister Yvonne in St. Louis and Wilma enrolled at Tennessee State University or TSU which she received which she received a scholarship for and she majored in elementary education
1: great Okay. But
0: the real reason she wanted to go to TSU is because she wanted to keep racing. She right. wanted to get back. She wanted to go to the Olympics. She was again. ready she to move wanted... again. Yeah. She was ready. So and actually, a few weeks after Yvonne got Yolanda, she filed to adopt the baby. So okay. that was like, oof, okay. That was scary. But then Ed and Blanche went to go get Yolanda and brought her back home. Okay. Okay. Again, Wilma, she just wanted to race and compete. Like she loved her daughter by all accounts, but she was like, I am not letting this hold me back from my dream. Right. So she actually got sick in 1958 and had an injury in 1959 with a complicated surgery in 1960. Uh, But Wilma managed to qualify for the Olympics yet again. Oh my God. And uh, quote, two bouts of, so I guess this is like her entire illness history, Quote, two bouts of double pneumonia, scarlet fever, whooping cough, measles, chicken pox, a tonsillectomy, and an appendectomy. And let's also not forget the polio she contracted. So <laughs> she went through a lot.
1: Damn. That's so much. Okay. <laughs> She's rubbing her hands. She's getting ready. All right. Here we go. Okay. The
0: 1960 Olympics. So this year, the Olympics were held in Rome, Italy. Okay. Ed Temple was selected to coach the U.S. women's track and field team for the Olympics. And Wilma qualified. And off they went to Rome. Her teammates were Barbara Jones, Martha Hudson, and Lucinda Williams. And they were all on the relay together. And I just thought this was interesting. Wilma noticed she was not a good starter. Yeah. Because she was 5'11". She was tall. Yeah. And she she had a hard time with that, that lightning quick start. Right. But she, so she really relied on her ability to gain momentum as she goes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So during the first heat, she hurt her ankle and still won the heats.
1: <laughs> she was like running in a brace. Like an ankle brace. <laughs> I went to get on the floor at the gym this morning. Just get on the floor and I my ankle hurt. And I made a noise, like an audible noise. <laughs> I could never. Good for her. I'm so impressed.
0: <laughs> this was such a fast lady, y'all. She won the 100-meter dash in 11 seconds. 100 meters? 100 meters in 11 seconds. That's 300 feet. Almost, yeah. Yeah. So this would have been a world record, but there was such a strong tailwind. She, it was disqualified from being a world record. She still won. But because of the tailwind it just disc- it couldn't be a world record it I was like a 10 I don't like She's getting give it to boosted.
1: her <laughs> just give it to her I
0: think I was reading something about it and I didn't write it down but it was like just a couple miles per hour above or like not even a full mile per hour above what like the allowed wind would be for a world record.
1: I didn't, I mean, I guess there's like like a set amount, but I wouldn't think that it would help that much.
0: She still, she still won. Yeah. And she was going to set way more world records, so it's fine. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) She won the 200 meter dash in 23.2 seconds. How many meters? 200. In 23 seconds? 23.2
1: seconds. How? (laughs) she's so fast the math ain't mathing that shouldn't be possible <laughs> oh God
0: and the relay the team had already earned the world record for the relay relay in one of their heats okay so uh with a time of 44.4 4 seconds so and the heats are like they're not like the final race to like win a medal it's like the the pre-qualifying and like preliminary races right. to get like the the seeds up right. So they had already set a world record before they even were like competing for a gold. So Wilma was the fourth leg of the relay. She almost dropped the baton, but she was able to get herself together, recover. She won by 0.28 seconds. 0.28? Barely a quarter of a second she won. After she
1: almost dropped
0: the baton? Yes. Oh! They won in 44.5 seconds. They missed their own world record by 0. 0.1 seconds. <laughs> Good Lord! And I didn't find more information about, like, her at the Olympics. It was just these three races that she competed in. But if you go to the skit, um, I have some pictures mm-hmm. of her time at the olympics so that first picture is ed temple and the relay team and she's the tallest one on the
1: far right yes correct? yes okay
0: she's very tall and then below that um that's her winning the 100 meter dash
1: also she's got some great legs
0: they she was very admired for her legs we'll talk about her legs <laughs> <laughs> I just... no she like we we're Part of her story that was really talked about in the book I read was really focusing on how she was able to coexist in two spaces, one as a female Mm -hmm. athlete in the 1960s and as a beautiful woman, which didn't always happen at the same time. Right. And she was like a fairly light-skinned black woman, and so that allowed her to be in a lot more widely accepted into white spaces versus if she was more dark-skinned, so... You know, there's there's a lot with it, but yeah, yeah. Let's look at these awesome racing
1: pictures of her. Like, there's her starting, there's her holding one of her gold medals. Also, I'm looking at, um, I see her starting the the one where she's she's running, winning the 100 meter race. Mm-hmm. Just, I had know nothing about racing, okay, but her stance compared to the other two girls is like you can tell she's got momentum. Oh yeah. And they're, they're almost looks like they, they look like they're going slow and she just looks like, I mean, she's at an ankle. Yeah. And
0: it it could just be like how, but it does like, it looks like she is fighting for her life to win this.
1: I mean, her head is tilted up. She, she's just running on blind faith that she knows where she's going.
0: Yeah. And she's
1: like, I'm going to win this thing. It just Uh looks impressive, and it looks like that stance would be faster Yeah, compared to. Yeah. And then if you scroll
0: down a couple more, there's her with all three of her gold medals. She looks so happy. She's only like 20. (laughs) (laughs) So um, Wilma Rudolph became the first American woman runner to win three gold medals at a single Olympics. At a single Olympics? Mm Mm-hmm. So she had four medals, one bronze, three gold, in two different Olympics. Ed Temple said when he was at the Olympics, quote, I was so happy I was bursting all the buttons off my shirt.
1: (laughs) Now that's happiness.
0: Uh, And the team, after the Olympics, they did their tour of Europe. They did a bunch of races. And she got a lot of nicknames during this time, one of which was the Tennessee Tornado. Well,
1: so uh, not to be confused with the roller coaster. At Dollywood, no. (laughs) At Dollywood, no. I will say the
0: Tennessee Tornado is probably not as fast as Wilma Rudolph.
1: (laughs) Probably not.
0: (laughs) She was so fast, y'all.
1: So fast.
0: This next part is going into the two years after the Olympics because a lot happened this year. So, one of the first things that happened upon Wilma returning after the Olympics is that Clarksville threw a giant parade. As they should. Absolutely. This was a momentous occasion, and it was going to be the first integrated public event in the town. (gasps) Oh... Yes. I love that. The t- this town, it closed for her. Like the entire town was decked out in like decorations and pictures of Wilma. Everyone was so ecstatic. School ended early. Shops closed up. Like everyone was here at this parade. There was going to be a dinner that following the parade in her honor. Over 1,100 yeah. people attended. The tickets sold out in one day to attend this dinner. Oh, my God. And again, it was integrated. And Wilma allegedly said she did not confirm this or deny it. Some people have said it's fact, but she herself herself not confirmed this, that she said that she would not attend the parade unless it was integrated. I I hope she did say that. Good for her. I hope she did. Most sources say that she did definitively, but the, the book was very careful to say that she has never said herself that she said this. Okay. But she's also been, and I'll talk about it later, but she has not been as out, outspoken about her kind of personal fight in the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. She was kind of, like, hanging it. Like, she she did do things, but she didn't really go on to speak about it. And I think, I don't know if she was afraid of public perception of her yeah. or if she was afraid of, like, facing even more hatred than she was probably already experiencing just because she was a black woman you know so no one really knows why but has not been confirmed or denied by her and again at this this is at the same time the civil rights movement was starting to warm up in the early 1960s Mm -hmm. the celebration of, of Wilma Rudolph in Clarksville was different than what other black Olympians had received in their own hometowns and the book talks a lot about like Black athletes from different areas of the South and even the North, like, they didn't have these big celebrations or, like, expected to have their own celebrations within their own segregated communities. And it was something very unique and special about this tiny town in Tennessee. Like, it made newspapers worldwide. Wow. And the people of Clarksville specifically wanted to kind of transcend race in a celebration for this effect to last. They kind of wanted to put the segregation behind them right to an extent it didn't cure segregation or like cure but racism they wanted it to like of
1: start the things moving forward and yeah, yeah
0: or at least start sweeping things under the rug a little okay. bit you know not they're not quite as like out and proud about being racist but it, it was more to like hide things rather than change them so we'll we'll get there but it's it is complicated. Yeah, like her own, like the her own high school football team wasn't allowed to attend the parade. What? Yeah, because it was a black high school. Other high schools attended, but not her own high school.
1: That's
0: so like really yeah, bad.
1: like it's not perfect. Yeah, yeah, it's not perfect.
0: Schools wouldn't actually be integrated in Clarksville into the nineteen seventies. So. We've still got a, more than a decade to go for that. Right. And she was actually really nervous about coming back home because she said to the New York Amsterdam, which is a black newspaper in New York, quote, It's going to all but kill me to have to go back home and face being denied this, that, and the other because I'm a black American. In America, they push me around because I'm a Negro. Here in Europe, they push me to the front. So, like, when she was out in Europe doing her tour, she didn't really face the the racism and oppression that she Face when she was oh, back home. that would
1: be so hard to come back to. Yeah, just you get that taste of the freedom that and then you have to go back into that kind of life. Yeah, that sounds horrible.
0: Yeah, like I can' imagine what kind of the the conflicting feelings that she felt. Yeah, because sure. you' want to
1: feel pride for your home, but also, you know, you can't be blind to the faults there.
0: Exactly. And those
1: were some big faults.
0: Absolutely. So she was the first woman to be formally invited to participate in a bunch of all-male track meets. Wow. But this required the organizers to then have more women participate so she could have someone to race against. (laughs) Because (laughs) Wilma actually refused to race against men. Don't know why. But the media was like... Oh, my God, she's such a lady. She would never degrade herself to the level of racing against a man. That's a weird outlook to have it,
1: uh, but okay. Yeah, she's she's so fancy and elegant and poised. She's probably like, I don't have to prove myself to you guys. I think that was probably it.
0: She was like, I I will have three gold medals. Like, I don't have anything to prove.
1: Like, and if I raced against these guys, it's just... Some people are going to be like, oh, she's such a lady. She doesn't want to. But if she did it, other places are going to be like, oh, my God, did you hear Wilma raced against men? I think she definitely knew how to play the game. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Like,
0: she knew she was an attractive woman that appealed to a white fan base. Yeah. And she knew how to kind of portray herself... To be accepted in that circle. While also not forgetting about, you know, her community. Yeah. She knew how to play the game for sure. She had to. With this win became the, came the focus on her physical beauty and appearance. I'm going to read this quote to you. It made me nauseous when I read it. (sighs) So this quote is by Jerry Footlick. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not lying on his name. Jerry Footlick, he is a sports columnist. This quote, this queen of the 1960 Olympics is a slender beauty whose eyes carry a perpetual twinkle. Vital statistics 34, 24, 26. She has the legs of a showgirl.
1: I I take back what I said about her legs. I mean, they are nice (laughs) legs, but like she doesn't, she doesn't need anyone else commenting on her body after that because... I'm sorry. She's a Olympic gold medalist three times over in the... And you want to talk about her twinkly eyes and her legs and her figure? I know, right? Isn't that awful? Can you give me some stats? Can you tell me who she is as a person? Can you... I don't know. Mr foot lick can you just <laughs> disrespectfully fuck off well
0: you know what that's what i'm here for because i found racing stats thank god so i'm going to share those thank with you but but this was important to talk about because it it is so important in her story like she was compared to even her own teammates and um i actually i sent emily a, a picture from the book I was reading, I was like, oh, my gosh, can you believe this? And I don't go into it in my notes. But it's comparing her to another one of her fellow Olympic teammates, I don't have her name in front of me, but she was the shot put yeah athlete. And I don't know, every shot put and discus athlete I've ever met has been strong as fuck. And they are usually big people. I mean, do you see what they're throwing? Yeah. <laughs> right. And so this woman, she was a mother. She was a black woman. She was boisterous and loud and strong as fuck. But she was not a very slender, petite woman. She was a big woman. Yeah. And uh, I'm not going to repeat for what the book said. And this, the book didn't say it about her, but it repeated what was said about her in the media at the time. And it was just disgusting. It literally made me nauseous to read what people were saying about this Olympic athlete because she did not fit their expectations and ideals of beauty.
1: How dare she not be skinny and also be so strong to like throw the shot put like, I, it just, ah I mean, I know it's a lot better now, but let's stop putting standards on anyone's body. Men, women, children, anyone, anyone's body. You know what? If you're alive, that's good enough. Yep. (laughs) Yep.
0: So, again, women who are athletes face such high levels of judgment. If they didn't meet all these societal expectations for beauty, they were treated horribly. God forbid an athlete is muscular, (laughs) right? (laughs) Oh, my God. Women don't need muscles. Yeah. So during this time, there was a social and even medical ideal that a woman would was rejecting their femininity if they were athletes or played sports. But Wilma was like, I can do both. Thanks. <laughs> so I have two quotes from her. Mm-hmm. The first one is, quote, I loved playing in the games and I also loved being a lady after the games. And then the second one is, oh, Emily's finger snapping. I snapped. snapped. <laughs> She said, quote, the other girls may not have been taking it as seriously as I was, but I was winning and they weren't.
1: (laughs) I mean, just get good. (laughs) Just get good.
0: Oh, I thought that one was really funny. She was like, "They, they were really concerned about their femininity and their beauty. And I was winning. And I was taking all the gold medals home. So, yeah. And I'm still pretty. But at the same time and I do want to acknowledge this, she did represent those continued ideals. Like she was beautiful. Yeah. And she was very feminine. She was slender. She wasn't extremely muscular. Yeah. Ew, gross. Uh. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so this really seemed to help help her rise in like the 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 society popularity. Discussion. Yeah. Yeah, popularity. R- really helped her rise to stardom. rather than her athletic abilities. Like, her athletic abilities were seen at, but she was just seen as such a graceful, poised, beautiful woman. Like, that was what really elevated her. Not so much on her actual athletic achievement. When Wilma was described in media, descriptors weren't, like, strong, fast, capable, intelligent, persevering. It was tall, willowy, slender, beautiful. The amount of times I saw... Quoted article saying graceful and poised. <laughs> she also had the nickname "Long Legged Lady" from
1: Clarksville,
0: which she did have I very mean, long legs.
1: <laughs> she did have very long legs, but she was five eleven. I mean, yeah, it's just
0: <laughs> anyway. I've talked a lot about her her physical attractiveness, and I'll get away from that now. Another important part of this time was this was during the Cold War mm-hmm. between, mostly between the United States and the USSR. And that was kind of another way for countries to, the countries involved to assert dominance over the other without yeah. actual war. So there were many track meets between the U.S. and the USSR to prove their athletic dominance and superiority. They were
1: having just pissing contests, basically.
0: Yeah, but there were races.
1: Yeah. just in <laughs> track meets, but yeah. Like, our athletes are better. No, our
0: athletes are better. And whoever had the better athletes was better morally and intrinsically as a country, obviously. (laughs) Because
1: that translates. But okay.
0: Yes. So historically, the USSR actually had better female athletes because the government-funded training for all athletes was (laughs) the same regardless of gender. That makes sense. While the same was was not true for the U.S. as we have established. (laughs) Especially when it came to women's athletics. Yeah. The book said that one group that consistently had the talent to go up against the Soviets was the TSU Tiger Bells. Every year they produced athletes that dominated the competition. And this was noted worldwide. Wow. So athletes from TSU. So the the four that were in the relay were not the only athletes from TSU. Mm-hmm. Athletes from TSU won seven gold medals in the nineteen sixty Olympics. <laughs> Damn, they were Killing amazing it. athletes. Wow. Here is the double edged sword to that. Okay. Black American athletes in particular were used as political propaganda to mm. show that everyone can be incredible with the freedom of democracy, even black people
1: born in poverty. <laughs> I know, it's so awful. <laughs> Again, I have no words, it's, only facial expressions. Sorry, And guys. I'm not
0: laughing because yeah. this is funny. I don't want anyone to think I think this is hilarious. This is so ridiculous.
1: I can't. I can't believe this actually happened. I f- it's like, it's like the nervous laugh that like, you're like, ha, 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 like, how is this real? Kind of a laugh. I laugh so I don't cry. Yeah. <laughs> Basically.
0: It's like everyone here has a chance. Unlike those dirty Soviets in the USSR. Look how diverse and open-minded we are. We're not communists. While Jim Crow was still a thing in the US. <laughs> I know Cal-
1: so calculus suspicious. meme. Just <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It's really ridiculous. <laughs> and the
0: the USIA, which is the the US intelligence agency, I don't remember. I meant to write it down. That sounds right. They actually made a propaganda film in 1961 called Wilma Rudolph, Olympic champion. And it was propaganda.
1: <laughs> I mean, face value, the title sounds great, but I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure it, half of it was just about her legs. I'm sure. I actually, I
0: tried to find it. I could not. I found a lot of clips from just the Olympics, Yeah, but I couldn't find this specific film, unfortunately. Well, that sucks. So Wilma was a beacon of American excess against the Soviets during the Cold War. They were like, look at our new trophy. She is so great. She will help us beat the Soviets. (laughs) (laughs) One race at a time. (laughs) So her first race after the Olympics was in January of 1961 Uh in the Los Angeles Invitational. She won the 60-yard dash in less than seven seconds. She outpaced the second placer by more than 10 yards. Damn. She ran how it was like, I don't know. 60, I'm really bad at math. She ran 60. 60 yards? 60 times three. 60 times three is 90, right? No.
1: <laughs> Nine, I don't. Says, no, Uh, 60 times three. 180. 180,
0: yeah. 180 feet in seven seconds. And she beat the next placer by 30, more than 30 feet.
1: I don't know if I could run my driveway in twice that time. (laughs) I I mean, (laughs) good God. And she said herself that she was slow at the start. Like, she had a hard time getting momentum. So she has to be continuously getting faster. Like, there's no stride. It's just only faster and faster. Yeah. Yeah good lord
0: she's crazy so this was again this is like the very first like like the very first race after the olympics that she was invited to people were clamoring to yeah. to watch her there were 14,000 people in this arena just to watch wilma run and th- there were 5,000 people outside the stadium trying to get in to watch her So almost 20,000 people turned up for this event just to, just to watch her run for less than seven seconds. That was the only race she did that day. And everyone went fucking bonkers. Yeah. (laughs)
1: They've never seen anyone so fast in their life. Yeah, I it's so it's so unbelievable just how fast she was. I want to know, hold on. Um what's the average track runner or women track run? I guess I, I want to know top. Um what was it 60 60 yard dash? Okay, it's it's literally only been beat By just a handful of people since then. I can believe that. Yeah. My God.
0: (laughs) So there is another reporter named Sid Ziff. Mm -hmm. I swear I'm not making up these names. (laughs) Sid Ziff said that she was, quote, untalkative when she didn't want to speak with reporters in Rome during the Olympics. But when she was in the States competing, she was very friendly and willing to interact with fans and reporters, causing him to change his opinion on her. Gee, I wonder why she didn't want to be ogled
1: by reporters during the Olympics. Also, (laughs) she was untalkative when she didn't want to talk. That's the definition. (laughs) I don't I don't want to talk to you right now. She wasn't very talkative, really. (laughs) She's busy.
0: Leave her alone. But then, like, when she was in the States, she was like signing autographs and like giving hugs and was super sweet. And he was like, wow, like, she's actually talkative. She had time then. <laughs> she went at the Olympics. <laughs> I know. She was busy <laughs> winning three
1: gold medals. Leave her alone. <laughs>
0: So the way Wilma acted towards her fans and the way the media interpreted her actions actually helped reconceptualize black American women before the civil rights movement really took off. Because black women especially, and they still do, but a lot of black women were viewed as being very unfeminine at the time because they did, again, they did not fit into the white ideals of how women should act. I know, but Wilma fit into this neat little puzzle piece. And they're like, oh, okay, Black women can be like graceful and poised
1: and beautiful and lovely and feminine. And of course it can, <laughs> along with so many other wonderful things. If you would just get your heads out of your asses. I know. It's so awful.
0: Yeah. She was a juggernaut in popularity, like we said, because Black women were seen as, yeah. quote, uncivilized and unfeminine, which is <sighs> 1960s. Yay. Yay. So she was actually starting to get close with another Olympic athlete, Ray Norton. Mm -hmm. And the media was obsessed with them. It was just, will they, won't they, ing them into oblivion. Mm -hmm. So nothing that I read ever confirmed or denied if they had a romantic relationship. But here is a quote from Wilma. Quote, I have noticed a large majority of people I talk to are more interested in my love life, which is unknown to me, than my performances on the track
1: it's like hearing a rumor that's obviously not true about you you're like oh cool what did i do next yeah oh i'm with this guy wow. i'm with this guy should i call him? because that. i didn't
0: i don't even know him hey i just ran like a mile in the blink of an eye how about that
1: yeah but do you fuck <laughs> Sorry for that one. <laughs>
0: no, it's okay. It's okay. I mean, really. I mean, that's, yeah, that's really what it was about. Yeah. <sighs> so I got this next information from the encyclopedia I talked about a famous American women. Uh-huh. So these are all the races that I could find that she ran in 1961. In February of 1961, so after the Los Angeles one. Yeah. At the New York Athletic Club, she beat her previous record for the indoor 60-yard dash in 6.8 seconds. Just beating herself. Okay. Yeah. She set the world record for the 70-yard dash in 7.8 seconds. Wow. So she ran an extra 30 feet in one second.
1: Good God. <laughs> Wait. She's fast as fuck, boy. Do you think... <laughs> Do you think that if we put her and Dale Dale Earnhardt in his car next to... Who do you think would win?
0: <laughs> Wilma? Well, if if Dale doesn't try to bump her into the <laughs> wall, then I'm putting my money on Wilma.
1: He is the intimidator, so yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, Then she won the women's... At the Women's AAU Indoor Championship in Columbus, Ohio, she won the... A 100-yard dash in 10.8 seconds, mm-hmm. which was a U.S. record. And ran a 220-yard dash in 25.0 seconds, which was a world record. In Louisville, Kentucky, she ran the 70-yard dash in 8.2 seconds, which was the outdoor record. Wow. Just record after record. At the U.S. Women's Outdoor Championship in Gary, Indiana, she ran the 100-yard dash in 10.8 seconds. And I think both those last two were outside. Wow. So they're a little slower. When she went to West Germany, she ran the 100 meter dash in 11.2 seconds, set another world record. Between the US and USSR, she ran the 100 meter dash in 11.3 seconds. So again, like she just missed her world record by 0.1 seconds. <laughs> She's nothing if not consistent. <laughs> wow. I, just
1: seconds. Seconds. Yeah. Do you remember running the mile in high in the middle school? Yes, and it was
0: awful. And I usually averaged thirteen minutes. You don't even want to know what my time was.
1: <laughs> well into the twenties, well into the <laughs> twenty minutes. I am not a runner. <laughs> Were you one of the ones that just walked the entire time? I did a quick. It, it was. A, I did run it first, and then my uh-huh. lungs started giving out on me because touch of asthma. Asthma, um, and then my foot started to hurt because. Broken bones. <laughs> you broke it. And, and then my knees started to hurt because apparently <laughs> when I was going through puberty, um, I my hips grew faster than my knee muscles could develop. So that's why I have bad knees. It's because of my <laughs> hips. So I was just... Woo. <laughs> it's always in the back. See,
0: I'm a very competitive person. So I would always try to run as much as I could to try to beat, like, the people who could run in, like, six seconds. But I was chonky growing up. And not I'm not a fast runner. Like, I can do endurance. I'm not fast. I've never been a fast person. So, yeah, it was usually 13 minutes. I did, I think my fastest mile I ever did, and this is when I was working out and running consistently, I think I got it up to nine minutes. Damn. Which I was very proud of myself. But I, like was really running a lot and then I got shin splints and then it's been over for me since then
1: (laughs) yeah I um mm, mm. I don't even run at the gym now like if they're like all right run a lap I'm like cool it's a quick walk (laughs) see you on the other side (laughs) my friend just leaves me now she's like I'll see you when we get back to our spots (laughs) Uh, yeah we're okay I'm a mess anyway Anyway, no it's okay
0: Back to Back, to, back to it. So, finishing finishing out 1961, I didn't see when this happened yep. or either of these next two things happened. She married a man named William Ward. Okay. Um, I don't know who he was. I don't know anything about him. And her father also died this year, oh. unfortunately. What year was this? 1961. Okay. So, he did see her win the Olympics, but I didn't see anything about how he died. I mean... I'm sure he he was getting up there in age. He had twenty two children. I mean, if and he
1: started having kids at twenty, let's just say, by the time she was born, he was in her he was in his forties.
0: Yeah, and then by this time, he's at least in his sixties. 60s, 60s sixties, so.
1: yeah, seventies, maybe. So yeah. understandable. And he was a porter, you know. Yeah. Anyway,
0: also apparently she may have dated Muhammad Ali briefly. Okay. Well, good for her. Before he became Muhammad Ali when he was still Cassius Clay. I don't think I realized he was Cassius Clay. Yeah. was Oh, cool. Did yeah, we... Muhammad Ali is
1: like his... um, It's like stage, like stage name. He. Yeah, I didn't know yeah. that was his real name.
0: Yeah. Thanks. The only reason I know is because it came up in the book. Oh. Because when it talks about the civil rights movement and athletes yeah. and stuff, he definitely came up... And in July of 1962, she won the 100-yard dash in 10.8 seconds in Los Angeles and retired soon after from competition at the age of 22.
1: She's She's like, like, all right, I'm done. I've I've had enough running.
0: So, and I realized this when I was reading it because I think later I talk about her winning an award for, like, being an amateur athlete. And I was like, how is she an amateur? She won the Olympics. But you have to be technically an amateur to compete in the Olympics. So, if you're an amateur, you're not, like, part of an officially licensed team.
1: You are not, like, a paid athlete. Okay. So, what you're saying is, like, say, just just to say it, let's say um, the Olympics had a football team. You could not be part of the NFL. And then go to the olympics
0: yeah okay that's my, that's my understanding okay of it. at least back then i think the rules were probably change now to an extent i'm not i'm not an expert on the olympics i don't know okay. but and it comes up because she had a really hard time finding work oh. in the 60s and a part of that was because she didn't want to take official jobs with running because she wanted to keep her amateur status so she could potentially compete in the the 1964 tokyo olympics which she ended up not doing okay because she retired in 1962 but that was kind of she was having a hard time financially for a while because she was like all i can do is run (laughs) you know so which wasn't all she could do but that was really all people expected of her right again i'll get into later Like we've started touching upon, the 1960s were a time of great change in the U.S., especially in regards to the Civil Rights Movement, which was a movement to desegregate the U.S. and ensure black Americans were legally and politically equal in society. Right. And no longer treated as second-class citizens. Wonderful. Yes. So in 1963, Wilma went on a month-long goodwill tour of... Africa, and this is not like goodwill as like the company goodwill. This was like sanctioned by the U.S. government just to be like, all right, like we're chill, yeah, we're friends. So she attended the Friendship Games in Senegal, and this included more than 2,400 athletes from around Africa. Wow! And she also visited Ghana, Guinea, Mali, and Upper Volta. She here. She is. She is a young black woman from the Jim Crow South. Who's faced segregation her entire life, and now she's in Africa with a uh, 2,400 athletes who mm-hmm. are also African. The book posits like this prob like this likely had a very strong impact on Wilma. She doesn't really f- go on and say it outright. Yeah, but she really loved being in Africa. She loved visiting Africa. She made really genuine connections with a lot of the people there. She was around people like her that were not facing the same levels of discrimination that she right. was. She was like truly in an equal society. She was in a place where Black people had the majority and had to say so in the goings on in the country. And this was Senegal had just become newly independent. And I think just a few years later, there's going to be like a bunch of other stuff happening. But during this time, they were newly independent. Yeah. And she was like, "Wow, this is great." In 1963. 1963 is the year the civil rights movement really hit the ground running mm-hmm. with Mar- Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. organizing protests and demonstrations right before Wilma left on her trip to Africa. You know, all these things are kind of swimming in her head. In May of 1963, Wilma divorced her husband, William Ward, and graduated from TSU a week later. Uh-huh. <laughs> she, she doesn't just like half-ass things. She whole asses the things. Yeah. She's like, all right, divorced. No, I'm graduated. Yeah.
1: Like, ah, tired of you.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And she graduated with her degree in elementary education. The day after she graduated on the 28th of May, 1963, she and hundreds of other black protesters went to the Shoney's in Clarksville where they had like a a protest um, and they were denied access. And apparently they were treated very violently by counter protesters. She mentions much, much later there was, like, tear gas, like, other people were being, like, assaulted. They went again the next day and, again, were not allowed to enter. And other restaurants at this time were starting to desegregate, but tensions were really building. And so there was a rumor that the black protesters were going to be at the Shoney's for a third night and a mob actually formed. To, like, prepare for the black protesters to show up. But thankfully, they did not show up.
1: That would have been not good.
0: No, it was starting to get really bad. And the following week, Clarksville officially agreed to integrate all public spaces. Good. So. Okay. I think except schools. But, like, all restaurants were desegregated public spaces were desegregated and this was really the only example of Wilma participating in a civil rights protest mm-hmm. and she really didn't talk about it she wanted to put the end the incident behind her it seemed like she didn't even mention it in her autobiography wow. but she does talk about the racial injustices she faced but just she didn't talk about this and then I think I talk about later she has to do like a there's like a lawsuit against Shonies, and she talks about her experience okay. with all of that. Um, but I'll talk about that later. I'm trying to go in chronological order yeah. here now. So she eventually married her high school sweetheart, Robert Edridge, 1963, who's the father of Yolanda. Okay. And they went on to have three more children together Dewana, Robert Jr., and Jury. Okay. How old is
1: Yolanda at this point? So, she
0: was born in 19—let me—I need to go back. She was born when she graduated high school. In 57? I think so. So, she's probably, like— Four? No. Oh, and
1: this is in 60— 64. So, she's, like, seven-ish. Seven-ish. Okay. Okay. And she's had—Wilma's been raising her daughter this whole time, too— See, I don't, I couldn't find anything about that. I know her,
0: her sister had her for a few months and then her parents took her. And I'm sure like when she was going and doing all the races and things. Her parents were probably still taking care of Yolanda. But I think when she retired, she settled down and. got Okay. Like stepped in as. Yeah. Yolanda's mother. And I didn't see anything about her having any children with her first husband. Okay. By 1964, in an interview, she seemed happy with her domestic life. Okay. So next, we're going to talk about the rest of her life. It's definitely not quite as explosive as her very early life. She really just seemed to have a quiet life. She struggled to find work, like I was talking about earlier, mainly found employment as a teacher and a track coach. Mm -hmm. And like I said earlier, she didn't get paid for her athletic prowess because she was an amateur So she really had to kind of move around a lot to find employment opportunities. She lived in a lot. She lived in Nashville, Clarksville, Indianapolis, Chicago, all kinds of places. But she really had a hard time because everyone's like, oh, this is Wilma the Amazing Racer. Yeah. An athlete. But like she was like, I have other skills. Like I literally have a degree in
1: education. But Could you no imagine see- just knowing who Wilma Rudolph is, and then you walk into your, like, classroom, and you sit down, and the teacher turns around, and there she Miss is. fucking Wilma Rudolph. <laughs> and she's teaching you, like, English. Like, what?
0: <laughs> <laughs> that would be wild. Tri-
1: just triggering. Like, is this is real she's life? she's like,
0: yes, this is, I'm... Hi, I'm Miss Rudolph. <laughs> I'm Mrs. Rudolph. And by all accounts, she never changed her name to... Eldra, She remained Wilma Rudolph for the Good. rest of her Good life. For her. I mean, she's iconic. I mean, if she wants to do that,
1: that's cool. I love that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. In 1977, she wrote her autobiography, Wilma, the story of Wilma Rudolph. In her autobiography, this was mentioned in the book I read. It's, it really sucks. She was coming home for an aunt's funeral mm-hmm. uh, with her children. And this is in 1968. It was the day Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And while her and her children were waiting at a bus stop, a man spit on them. Oh. A white man spit on them. Well,
1: fuck that guy.
0: Yeah. Thankfully, he was arrested. Okay, good. Yeah. But,
1: <laughs> Those poor kids. Like she went through too? all of that.
0: Yeah. And her, her and her children were assaulted by a stupid man. Did he
1: know who she was?
0: I have no idea. Probably not. Not
1: that it would have mattered.
0: Because, I mean, if you scroll down a little bit more in the skit, I, ha- I was able to find one picture of her in her older life. Oh, okay. Um, she has really big earrings. Yeah. Such a pretty lady. God, she is pretty. In December of 1977, which is the same year her autobiography was published, a made-for-TV biopic called Wilma was made and produced by Bud Greenspan. It made history as it was the first sports biopic about a black woman. Okay. But it was definitely romanticized. Oh. It really focused on her family, her relationship with her father, didn't even mention, like, where she, like, it mentioned she lived in Clarksville, but didn't mention, like, Clarksville was in the throes of Jim Crow, you know. Yeah. And, like, it really kind of put the focus on, like, her relationship with her family and how her family helped her overcome this amazing thing or, like, help do this versus, like, her as a person. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. And then we're doing a big jump ahead. In 1991, she gave her testimony in a lawsuit against Shoney's. Okay. It was a discrimination lawsuit, and she testified how... She, When she participated in this protest back in 1963, it was super traumatic. And she mentions being tear gassed. But there's no other mention of what happened to her at that protest. Yeah. In 1992, she became the vice president of Nashville's Baptist Hospital. Okay. In 1994, right after her mother died, she was diagnosed with brain and throat cancer. Oh, And while she was kind of going through this, she – I'm getting, like, body chills. Her and Ed Temple, her old TSU Tiger Ball coach, would just, like, walk around the track arm in arm together. You're going to make me cry. (laughs) I know. I know. And on November twelfth, 1994, Wilma Rudolph died at the age of 54 from a brain tumor. And her memorial was held at Keene Hall at TSU thousands attended and we're not done we have a few more things to cover okay but that is the end (laughs) of her her life for once i made you cry emily i know she's just such an amazing lady i love her again another another one of these people i want to hug i know and if you you scroll down a little bit farther you can see her gravestone it's very Um, pretty it's very very it's a lot yeah not in a bad way and i'll I'll talk a little bit about her gravestone in a minute but first i'm going to talk about all the awards she achieved or or received okay so in 1960 she was named this is besides her gold medals in 1960 she was named the united press international athlete of the year Mm -hmm. in 1960 1961 she was named the associated press woman athlete of the Year. In 1960, she received the James E. Sullivan Award, and that is for the top amateur athlete. Wow. In 1962, she won the Babe Didrikson Zaharias Award. 1962, she also met with JFK. (laughs) (laughs) It was just, it was just thrown in there, like, met JFK. Cool. All right. In 1973, she was inducted into the Black Sports Hall of Fame. Wow. In 1974, she was inducted into the U.S. National Track and Field Hall of Fame. In 1983, she was inducted into the U.S. Olympic Hall of Fame. 1984, she was named one of the greatest five women athletes in the U.S. by the Women's Sports Foundation. In 1988, she got the NAACP Image Award slash Jackie Robinson Sports Award. In 1993, she won the national – she was spoken about um, and won the National Sports Award at a White House dinner. Wow. 1994, she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. And the rest of these are posthumously. In 1999, she was named number one in Sports Illustrated ranking of the top 50 greatest sports figures of the 20th century from Tennessee. Anne was ranked 41st in ESPN's list of the 20th, 20th century's greatest athletes. Wow. So she's number one from Tennessee. Yeah. And 41 in of all time from the 20th century. Wow. In 2001, she was inducted into the National Black Sports and Entertainment Hall of Fame. In 2014, she was inducted into the International Association of Athletics Federations Hall of Fame. And only 48 athletes athletes worldwide are on this list and then she was also these aren't awards i didn't know where else to put them she was also a goodwill ambassador to french west africa and she started the wilma rudolph foundation to help underprivileged children oh
1: is there anything she didn't do
0: no no <laughs> she did everything <laughs> good. so the next little little bit is about her legacy okay and i talked about this at the beginning there are currently 21 known children's biographies written about wilma rudolph According to the book right. that I read, most of which were written after her death. Again, there's no adult biographies about Wilma Rudolph, which is just insane so to many me. needs to remedy that. Yeah. Well, here I have an audio biography about her. There we go. So you're perfect. <laughs> it's adult for sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so there is a statue of Wilma Rudolph in front of the Wilma Rudolph Event Center in Liberty Park in Clarksville. And if you scroll down... You'll see that iconic pose that we were talking about earlier. Look at her go. I know. This statue was completed in April of 1996, and it unfortunately was completed after her death, but it was arguably one of the first, if not the first, statues to commemorate a Black woman in the United States. Rosa Parks, Sojourner Truth, and Harriet Tubman all got statues after Wilma Rudolph. Wow. Wow. Which is crazy to me. Yeah. Like, not saying that she's not worth it, but, like, Harriet Tubman, Rosa Parks, like, they didn't get statues before Wilma Rudolph did? Like, that's insane to me. She is buried in Memorial Gardens, a small black cemetery in Clarksville. She has been commemorated on a postage stamp. There are several memorials and tributes to her at TSU. There's Wilma Rudolph Boulevard in Clarksville. And there's a Tennessee historical marker on the boulevard. And at TSU, the indoor track is named after her, as well as a dormitory. And at the library at TSU, there are numerous exhibits dedicated to celebrating Olympians having attended TSU, especially the Tiger Bells and Wilma Rudolph. Wow. So unfortunately, like, when I was researching this, we were snowed in, and I couldn't leave my house. Or I would have tried to get over to... (laughs) TSU and see if I could like can I look at the library
1: I, can I just wander <laughs> around thank you
0: <laughs> thanks. Okay, thanks so that is all I have for oh, y'all today on Wilma it. Rudolph thank you for that oh, I love her I do too I was I was definitely getting emotional reading this and I was like why do not more people know about just like everything about her life I don't know but they should Honestly. I, I agree. Honestly. Like, we need more than, I mean, and again, like, not saying that children's biographies are bad or not good enough, but, like, we need more than just material for children. Yeah. It was so hard to even find the book I did find. And, like, I was, I really was, like, trying to find, and a lot of things that were, like, just a page or two I still had to purchase. And I was, like, I don't want to purchase just, like, a page or two. Yeah. It's, like, saying it's a book and it's not like there's a lot of comic books there's a lot of like little books about like famous sports heroes yeah you know Wilma rudolph and i know it's just i know none of those would give me quite like the meat of what we're usually we're used to on this podcast
1: right it's like not it's not like a stat we're we're not a sports like podcast we need we want to know about your life we want to know about the the stats we want to know about everything and i feel like children's books are just going to gloss over it they're not going to give you the depth and then you can't summarize her life in two pages like you just you can't
0: no let's see how long are we at right now we're an hour and a half in yeah now and again like i didn't still didn't cover every single thing that was really what i could find especially like after the olympics her life really quieted down yeah and not a lot happened but i mean she still won like 20 awards and just and, you know, some of the children's books do mention her teen pregnancy, but they don't talk about it in a way that is like me. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like she had a teen pregnancy and she was like, OK, and <laughs> I'm going to keep doing what I want. there they were just like she found herself in a situation uh, and she had a baby. Yay. Oh, you know, man. Like, <laughs> they don't talk about
1: her being 17 and pregnant. Well no, because there's even now a stigma about that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean I remember when we were in high school and there were girls becoming pregnant in high school and we were like, What's that about? Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean we're we we did not know any better. We were just like,
1: How do you how 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 do you have time for this? <laughs> I'm too busy just I almost said "dicking around," but obviously that's not what I was doing. <laughs> I was—I um, mean, you know, just doing dumb stuff.
0: Let's just do. Let's just do props to all the people that find themselves becoming parents in high school and still like getting through high school. Like, yeah, good for you. Finger snaps to you. We're very proud of you. So I'm going to do a quick review <clears throat> of my sources okay and again they'll be in the show notes so again representing Wilma rudolph by rita liberty and maureen m smith it was a really really good book and i think it's published a sports like magazine technically i'd have to double check the publishing information but it really, again, like, more provides, like, a contextual analysis yeah. of her life and, like, what was going on at the time yeah. in society and just in the world. Um, goes into a lot more detail about just kind of the state of things at the time. I, I thought it was a really interesting read. I didn't include all of the stuff that was in that because, again, I try to keep keep everything pretty streamlined right i'm not doing a book report i'm just trying to get information about Wilma right. rudolph but i really liked it and then there's an entry for wilma rudolph in famous american women a biographical dictionary from colonial times to the present and again this was published before she died so it was really interesting wow. to see like the 1940 dash it was published in 1980 i got it for like ten dollars nice. at a used bookstore i was so excited too because i was like man i need more information and i like looked to my bookshelf and i was like what if she's in this book and i looked through <laughs> it and i like looked up rudolph and she was there and i was
1: like "Ha she's in this book the universe <laughs> spoke it
0: and i found a lot of the It had a lot of details about like the times that she ran all those races in nice which, and i didn't see that anywhere else so i'm super glad i found it I found a Guardian article called 50 Stunning Olympic Moments, number 35, Wilma Rudolph's Triple Gold in 1960 by Rob Bagchi. Leaders of Afro-American Nashville, Wilma Rudolph and the TSU Tiger Bells by Bobby L. Lovett. And that was the article from 1997 mm. I found. It looked like it was for the, the Tennessee State newspaper. I got uh, some details about her awards and stuff from Wikipedia and then stuff from about polio from the CDC And then Jim Crow Laws from History.com. So that's all I got. What an amazing fast lady. Fast as fuck. (laughs) She was so fast. When I was reading through those times that she completed all those recenses, I was like, is that real? (laughs) Like, (laughs) How is that real? How is that possible? Is that not a typo? Like, I don't understand. It is not. So I put a link. I'm putting a link in the in the notes beneath the skit it's a youtube video that you can watch her race do i need to listen to it no okay. i just wanted you to see yeah. like how fast she is you can definitely tell which one she is yeah she's very tall
1: wow well i'm still watching her run i can yes good lord She's so fast. So fast. Do you imagine being like, my grandma's Wilma Rudolph. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't. No. Uh, oh, um, and later in the
0: video, I just saw, like, I'm continuing to watch this video, uh, and I can put it in the show notes. So she has this little straw hat that she took up with her to, like, the the podiums. Mm-hmm. And so many people were like, look at her little straw hat. <laughs> She became like infamous for it. it is, it's like I mean, it's a cute hat. Yeah, but it. it I didn't even touch upon it in the episode because I was like, it's. I'm not. I don't want to get into it. She didn't even put it like, on her head. She was just holding yeah, it. Yeah, there are some like racial undertones. That I was like, I don't. Oh. I don't know if I want to get into yeah. it. yeah, so anyway, that's Vilma Rudolph. I hope you guys like this. I was so
1: excited to talk about her and just how amazing she was. I'm very excited to, um, was very excited to hear about it. And I also think it's funny, like you pointed out before we started, or maybe in the episode last week, I forgot, um, that we both did racing. I know. (laughs) And
0: I researched this episode weeks ago, yeah. and I didn't even know you were covering NASCAR. I forgot right? you
1: were doing Wilma Rudolph, and <laughs> and I was just like, NASCAR, race! <laughs> I don't know how we keep doing this. Brain meld.
0: We we do. We legit have a brain meld. Yeah. So, okay.
1: I guess we can start letting these people go. So, um, we kind of have been neglecting our Q&A, so we're sorry about that, listeners. We forgot. um. So we're going to, we do have a question and we're going to do our best to answer it. So Paula asked, um, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. Um, She was wondering if we could figure out why people refer to uh west of the plateau or sorry, east in of Tennessee. Yeah. East of the plateau in Tennessee, East Tennessee. But if you go west, people just, refer to city names instead of saying just like a general area i would
0: say it's because i don't know there's i don't know like i've just always done that i'm like oh where are you from oh i'm from east tennessee okay where and then you like narrow it down there and i think it's because east tennessee well it has like knoxville and chattanooga like not a lot of people know anything area there's so much rural just like nothingness in east tennessee yeah so it's like, okay, do you know where East Tennessee is? Yes, yeah. okay. Now I'm from like the blank area. Okay, I know where that is. Okay, do you know where blank is? Yeah, okay. I'm actually from blank. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's exactly how we see it. Um, and I also feel like the Appalachian Mountains are right there in East Tennessee, yeah. so we're just from the mountainside. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm from the mountains. Mountains. <laughs> um, she she said that she was told that East Tennessee supported the north during the civil war and west of the plateau supported the south so that it got kind of split up and maybe that's that's has something to do with it and it might we just don't know exactly (laughs) yeah i'm not entirely
0: sure because i know um knoxville was like the first southern city to be captured by the union when the civil war broke out okay at least in tennessee yeah i don't know about in the south but in Tennessee and then like there was a lot of differing attitudes but like even McMinn County where we're from was like yeah, let's stay with the union. Yeah. Like we can abolish slavery. We don't want to secede. So I don't know. I really don't know. That I think that's more of like a sociological question yeah. that I don't know if we're equipped to answer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're just uh I don't know. We're just from East Tennessee. We don't know. <laughs>
0: Yeah. If yeah. you're from West Tennessee or west from the plateau, like if you have your own insights you'd like to offer, that would be great. Yeah. Because be we're awesome. both from East Tennessee, so. We don't know. <laughs> I just, I guess from my experience, it's like, okay, no one is going to know what bum fuck town I'm from. So I got to start big and then get smaller right. as you go.
1: Whereas if you say I'm from outside of Nashville, everyone's going to know that exactly. I'm from... Yeah. Uh, an hour north of Memphis. Everyone's going to know where that is. Right. Some people don't even know where Chattanooga is. Yeah. So. They're like, oh, isn't that
0: from Iron Man 3? And you're like, more than that. But yeah.
1: Is it in <laughs> Iron Man 3? It's
0: referenced, yeah. Oh. There's like ABC News. Um, was like ABC 19 or something. Whatever the local channel is. I haven't seen it. Of course you haven't, but Iron Man ends up finding himself in East Tennessee oh. after an accident, so.
1: Okay, well, welcome, Iron Man. I'm late. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we should um, maybe give out socials. Yes, and let's then, do that. Uh, go to bed and let these good people go home, um, as my dad would say. So, you can find this <laughs> on Facebook group and page. Ill-Equipped History Podcast. Instagram. At ill-equipped
0: history. TikTok. At illequipped history. Watch our videos. We think they're very funny. <laughs> yeah, we think we're funny. Uh, Gmail. illequipped history at gmail.com. And please email us suggestions yes. and comments,
1: questions. Hey, if you want to be more anonymous with your questions, please email us. We can keep you anonymous. Just yeah. email us or comment on the post you know, whatever you feel comfortable with. And lastly, Patreon.
0: Patreon.com slash equipped history. For five bucks a month, you get access to a sticker and a shout out and a bonus episode that we release every month. And we think they're really great.
1: We're both dancing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, if you're fast as fuck, race. Yeah. Do whatever the hell you want. Yeah. And if people tell you that it's not ladylike. To be athletic, flip them off, throw and them, do it anyway, throw them, throw them, yeah, like a shot put, just yeah. Throw them. I don't know if that's the noise that shot puts make, makes. But... <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly the noise shot
0: put makes.
1: <laughs> Maybe upon landing, like. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't make a running noise. I don't know what that's like, so. <laughs> Obviously, What's I run like ten feet, and I'm like, <gasps> so "That's what you guys would hear." You run after your children or your dogs if yeah. they, if
0: they're about to die.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I let the mom skills go, and then after that, I'm like, "Well, I've had that. I, I've had all I can do today." <laughs> okay. Well, um, see you next week. Okay. Bye. Kay, bye.